Hello coders, good afternoon. It's episode 151 of the How to Code Well podcast. It is, uh, what day is it? It's Thursday the 24th of March and today we're going to follow on from our our topic of the month which is syntax and we're going to talk about syntax errors. Uh, last week we talked about syn- what syntax is. The week before we talked about uh, syntax sugar. We kind of did it in the wrong order, really. We should have talked about what syntax was first and then talked about syntax sugar and then talked about syntax errors. But hey, <laughs> you know what I'm like when it comes to planning things. Actually, I have my notes and the reason why I'm looking down here is they're on my iPad. So they are here. They used to be normally on my screen, but they're actually here on the iPad. So if you notice me glaring down, it's because I'm I'm looking at the notes. Ah, uh, gosh, this, uh, how have we got to Thursday already? I mean, this, uh, this week has gone super, 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 super quick. Before we get into the syntax error stuff, let's talk about the changelog. Um, so <laughs> I wrote this at 5.25 a.m. <laughs> yesterday morning. I thought I'm, I'm up. I might as well write this. This is because uh, of Goose, who is our new puppy. Uh, Twelve and a half weeks old, 13 weeks on Monday, next Monday. And uh, yes, yeah, so I've been I've been super, uh, super tired, super busy, uh, potty training with the pup and taking the pup out for walks and doing all sorts of stuff. We still have Murphy, of course, the elder English Springer Spaniel. So we have a small little chaos of Spaniels in the house, which is all fun. All fun and games, and, and Goose is doing fantastic. He's, he's a awesome little pup. Today, in fact, I took him out for the longest walk we've done, which was literally up to the end of our road, and we turned right. So, you know, progress. Progress is being made, but he, he encountered his first... Um, uh, moving car moving vehicle so <laughs> anywho that's no, 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 i don't know why are we talking about puppies we should be talking about code okay so the change log the change log so i've been doing in the evenings um and also whilst i've been up trying to wait for murphy to go to sleep i've been doing all sorts of work on the how to code well site and uh recently i've been doing a lot of end-to-end testing using cypress io and it's an awesome little tool, Cypress, I've got to admit. Um, we've got a handful of t- tests yet to write. And the test that I'm focusing on, the end-to-end stuff, is to do with course creation in the content management system. Here I'm talking about the HowToCodeWell.net website, the, the new platform that I'm building. And um, the idea is that I want to have an end-to-end test or a series of end-to-end tests that test the actual creation of a course and then uh, eventually creating the course and then logging out of the CMS, logging in as a, a user, and then sort of seeing the new course with all of the things that uh, the course has. And doing this for both a paid course and a free course, because they'll have various different different things. Um, I, I've also been working on the, the uploading side of things. So when, um, so using a different, uh, different object storage and um, using and, and having tests for that. So tests when uploading files and downloading files as well, which is quite fun. 
So that is coming probably close to an end. It's going to take probably a few more weeks. So I will probably talk about it again next week and maybe the week after. But um, once I have those tests done uh, and and um, I'm happy with it, that means that we can merge that into our main branch and then move on with with other things. So after that, I want to do some work around uh G- gdpr there's a couple of things that i need to do with gdpr things like uh, right to be forgotten and all of that jazz uh fun stuff Ugh. um yes so on tuesday uh, i was streaming on on youtube as i usually do on tuesday at uh, whatever time it normally is at half five six o'clock and um we were doing the fir- the, the lesson eight of the uh php course the, the new php course that we're doing is the login course so we've got to level eight uh lesson eight next week we're on lesson nine and then after that it's lesson 10 and that's done Woo! uh done for the f- for the second pass of the doc- documentation changes so after that there is a third pass i'll probably do that off stream because i'm thinking that's going to be quite fairly fairly quick to do this is uh, a the various different passes of going through the documentation and building the application that we've got on the course uh, from scratch, but using the doc- documentation as a guide. So in these passes of this, it'll be the, this is the second pass. The, 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 uh, the third one will be obviously plugging the, any gaps, any holes and, and doing any spelling mistakes and typo errors and stuff, which we have been doing in the second pass. And in the second pass, of course, we've been, you know, standardizing things. So where I'm using certain words and phrases, making sure that's standard across the whole lessons, there's a document there's, there's a markdown file, readme file, if you will, for each of the lessons. And so, you know, as a guide to the project that we're building. Okay, so that's what we're doing there. Also on the notes is that, um, uh, I have also come up with a list of things that I want to do after the Cypress tests, going back to the, what we were talking about at the start. So these Cypress tests are great because they give me um, some breathing space after actually building the feature to actually look at what it is that I'm doing in terms of an acceptability criteria and then um, come up with ideas for the future. So like post-launch stuff. So... The MVP is kind of there already, which is which I'm for the course creation at least, which I'm happy with. Uh, but I, I've come up with a couple of ideas as to what we might be doing later. So this is kind of an insight as to what we might be doing on stream um, when I do go live on on the Sundays on Twitch. Um, so adding a checksum support for project file uploads. So one of the features that I've got in what we're doing at the moment is, is uploading project files as a zip file and then having the people who have paid for the course being able to download the, the project file. So what I would like to do is have a checksum on that. Um, also I want to deal with price templates. So, uh, something that I, I I realized when we were when I was building the acceptance stuff for the, the prices was that I was having to build a price for every single course, and or every paid course of course, um, and so every every it was um it was getting a little bit uh, tedious. So what I wouldn't mind doing in the future is having a template to say, look, uh, this is the template, this is the name of the t- particular price price uh, uh, an example could be a free price for instance right so you would just use that as a template um 
Also, automatic slug creation. So this is where you um, type in the title of the course. I would like something to call the database to discover um, if A, if the title has already been taken, and B, create, come up with a slug, um, you know, a URL, a, a, a pretty prettified URL, and do that through some form of sort of Ajax REST request type thing and um, and populate that slug field because at the moment I'm having to put that in myself. Um, also adding extra validation around um, courses with the same name as I've just mentioned and automatic thumbnail resizing as well because at the moment it's only going up as, as one thing which is not good. And also adding support for inline tutorials. So when I'm actually creating the course, once I've done the course, I then have to go and populate the tutorials it's kind of a bit disjointed that whole method on the on the cms so that's something that i wouldn't mind playing around with later on um adding support for drag and drop course requirements and 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 learning outcomes so this is reordering those things because at the moment it's fairly static so you would just add another learning outcome but the order is set by the way by by the order that that it's defined in so if i was to have if i wanted to change the order i would need to sort of do some copying and pasting jiggery pokery which isn't great um so all of these things that i've just talked about they would be fantastic if i could get them in the first pass the first um launch but they're not they're not mission critical or you know I think my the previous me would be like, no, all of these need to be in before we go live. But I, I really want to sort of like, you know, pull it, pull it back, rein it in a little bit and go, no, these are all nice to haves. Um, and these certainly aren't mission critical. These certainly aren't business critical. These certainly aren't things that will prevent it from going live. <sighs> so, yeah. Oh. Also, I am still uh, having the links in all of the videos and the podcasts to Anna Felina's um, donation uh, page on her blog. Uh, she's got relatives over in Ukraine, and it's a way of, of, of giving support and, and uh, helping people, uh, you know, in a real, real bad situation. So if you if you st- would like to donate to a good cause then please do look at the two links uh below the first link is to her uh blog and the second link is to a bunch of resources that you could also use as well so yes please do consider that let's get on with the actual show shall we so let's talk about what syntax errors are Woo! okay so syntax errors we all know what a syntax is now because we've all listened to the to the previous podcast, haven't we? Yeah. So, a syntax error occurs. It occurs in a programming language when the application is being either run, as in being executed, or it's during compile time. So, this happens. Like these, these errors appear during that time. Um, and the way I see it is like these little errors are like they're like gatekeepers, right? So they will prevent the application from going any further until those syntax errors are solved. So an example of a syntax error, a typical one would be, well, I've got a list here, but one off the top of my head could be like um, not putting a semicolon on the end of of a a PHP uh, statement, uh, line of code. 
There are others. I'll, I'll go into the different types because you can categorize them a little bit. But it's a syntax error. It's, it's, it's an error that is wrong with the syntax, the syntax being what you're writing as code. Um, so it's not, it's, not, um, it's not an error with the flow of the code. It's an error with the actual how you've written the code. Okay. Uh, yes. So uh, an interesting example. Well, I've got two. I've got two examples of syntax errors that aren't technically coding errors-ish, but they're like real life errors that you could class as syntax errors. Because remember, syntax isn't just for programming, right? Syntax is 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 a, a much broader thing. You know, we have when you're just writing, say, English, you're using some form of syntax when you're writing whatever language you're 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 in, you're, you speak your native language that has a level of syntax. It has a level of rules such as punctuation and, and, and uh, all of that stuff. So it's. Um, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Let me just get rid of all of this. Sorry. So. Uh, syntax is the errors. The errors are, like I said, these, these little gatekeepers, these things that will prevent the application from going any further because they will just fail. And what usually happens is that when it fails, it fails and tells you at what line it failed at. And it sometimes suggests what is wrong and what, how to fix it in some cases. So the different types of syntax errors are things like incorrect statements, incorrect um, operator errors, like you know, think you, you know you you you've or maybe you've in used incorrect variables. So maybe there's a spelling mistake. So not an incorrect variable as such, more of more as there's a spelling mistake in the variable name that you've created. So you you could have spelt the variable wrong when you were calling the value that has been assigned already to the correct variable name. Um, missing formats as well. So uh, with that, it could be, you know, you, you've got a, a double quote and a single quote together when you should have had um, sort of two single quotes or two double quotes. So it, it, it breaks the actual flow. It breaks the application. And usually, usually in your IDEs, in your, um, in your code editors, you should be able to have like these red lines that go underneath the actual code to tell you that there is actually an error with the syntax. Um, and in, in some cases, in some decent IDEs, it actually tells you a solution. It offers you a solution. Did you mean this? Did you mean that? That kind of jazz. But in, in terms of real life, the syntax of real life stuff, I was going to give you two examples there and then I got uh, waylaid. So um, one could be uh, an email address. So where you incorrectly type an email address and miss out the at symbol. The at symbol is a, is a rule of an email address that says that you must have an at symbol between the the start of the email address and then the domain where it's going to. So like, you know, peter.fisher at whatever.com, right? So there is a, a formula that needs to, you need to adhere to in order for that to happen. Also, there is uh, another one, another example. What was it? The, oh yes. So a domain name, a domain name will have a TLD at the end. So, you know, like a top, top level domain, it will have like a .com 
or a, a .co.uk or whatever. If you were just to write out google.com but without the dot, it's going to fail. So having the dot will separate the actual domain from the extension. So and, and a, another one is files, right? To ha- you, you need to have a file extension at the end of the file. So that is done by uh, putting in a, a dot, a stop, a period. So all of these things we already know how to deal with, but um, uh, that, that's syntax. And, that, and, and getting that wrong is a syntax error. We see it more as programmers because we write code all the time. And so we often create syntax errors because we are either we either type too quickly or we mistype or we just forget that there's a we need to put in a a colon at the end or or something you know or the brackets are wrong or the the quoting is wrong or the variable names are spelt incorrectly one thing to note though is that a syntax error is not a logical error right so these are two very different errors so the syntax error is that the, you have an error in the street furniture of the code, all right? The rules of the code. You have an error with that, how the code is written. But that, isn't, that doesn't mean that the code, the flow of the code is wrong, right? A logical error happens um, when the flow of the program is incorrect. So when, when say, it's going down the wrong path, Right, so it's going. It's made the wrong decision, and you, as a programmer, has perhaps you know thought about the requirements incorrectly, and so you've gone and coded up this thing to do something that it shouldn't be doing, or um, it could be an issue where the 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 user account or whatever is the input is wrong, and so because it's starting from a wrong thing it's going to continue being wrong all the way through the application. Um, and therefore, when it hits these logical gates where it's making a decision, it's making those decisions on the wrong input. And therefore, the, the path of the application is taken in, the, in a very wrong direction. Um, they don't normally cause the application to crash, right? But... Um, they do cause or can be they they can be caused and they can cause bad states in the code so bad bad states in user land i mean as in like um because of these logical errors you may end up with users of with an account that is incorrectly set or you know the the price of your shopping basket might be incorrectly calculated because of these logical errors not the syntax errors the log- logical errors so they, they can produce unexpected result, uh, results. So the types of logical errors are things like incorrect expressions. So, for instance, having a uh, true instead of false, right? So booleans, for instance. Um, incorrect data types. So you're saying that this is supposed to be, say, you know, a string, but you're actually using a, a, a boolean instead. So saying it's true. Right in in a string in quotes rather than true as in a boolean. Right, so it interprets that as a string instead of a boolean, and therefore it does different things because it's you've be, you've given it the wrong data type. Um, so the syntax is actually technically correct. Right, so you've actually correctly created a, a string, but in fact, 
what you should have done is sent them a boolean. <laughs> okay. Um, also, the sequence of instructions that you are passing could also be incorrect. So you could be you you you're, you could be making a, a wild assumption, thinking that your code is going through a series or it's performing a series of 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 tasks based on your requirements, but in fact, it's doing something completely different. And it's doing it because, I don't know, the state of the, whatever the variable is that you're passing through is different, or maybe it's just the instructions just are missing or just wrong, written wrong. So, and and of course there could be edge cases, right? There could be edge cases. Again, this, this is like a, a user who logs in after say five years of being dormant on the system and so and and their account hasn't been updated in a, in a long 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 time right this is one of those cases where that hasn't wouldn't happen very often right maybe if it's a very popular thing uh i get this sometimes with facebook because i don't really use facebook but sometimes when i get into facebook i'm i just get bombarded by notifications left right and center and it's just like, whoa, has nobody thought to actually test Facebook when you haven't logged in for more than a year? Because that's insane. <laughs> that's insane. Um, that's more of a UI error rather than a, a logical error. But you would have, you would like to think that they would they would change the, um, the, the the what you see first based on the the amount of activity that you've missed. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's the difference between logical errors and syntax errors. Uh, syntax errors, just to recap, are, are things that are are wrong with the syntax of code, not the actual flow of the code, not what the code is doing, but how you've told the code to be to to do it. That it's it's more of it's more of the um, the how rather than the why. So the why is more like, you know, the logical thing. So why did you do that? Why has it gone in that direction? Why has it gone down that path and not this path? Rather than the syntax is like, let's write it to do this and to, to go down that path to, um, to say that this is this variable and it's calling this class and it's doing so using um, this kind of uh, series of strings, like, you know, instantiating a class that is called this and therefore because of because of that sort of thing i need to do you know the, use the new keyword i need to call the class that is correct i need to have the uh, namespace correct i need to end the, the the statement with a semicolon you know i need to assign it to a variable and that variable needs to be spelled correctly all of those kind of things and uh, when I'm calling a method of, or upon that 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 uh, that object, I need to, it needs to be spelt correctly using the same case that is defined by the syntax of the class. So that's more of like um, I guess it's not the how; it's more of the the what. I suppose it's more the what, whereas the logical errors is more of like the why. So if you break it down, like you know what, the difference between the what and the why. Um, so the why logical errors, why did it go down this way? Why has it failed? Why is this account in this, in this state? Um, all of those kind of questions guide you through the logical, logical errors. And they do throw, they do throw exceptions. And sometimes they do 
crash the system. Not always, not always. So there could be a bunch of, and this is why I like testing so much, because when you've got a huge database full of users that have all sorts of things hanging off of the user accounts, all in different states from based upon various different inputs, a completely different combination to to anything. And you're, you're having to deal with all of these things, right? It's always good to have tests to prove that your application actually works in all of those scenarios or as many of those, those uh, common scenarios as possible, right? And you could have users in, in your system that just can't do the thing that you want them to do or, or um, are offering them to, to be able to achieve because you haven't tested the application using their user in their particular state. Obviously, you would anonymize and all of that jazz. But what I'm saying is that you could have users in your system that are always confronted with issues on your system because you haven't considered that particular logical flow um, because you've always assumed that your users are of a certain type. <laughs> you know, as in they, they, they are all like, you know, they were all built last week on the latest build. <laughs> and so you've got no legacy users. <laughs> so it's always good to have a look at your user table and also the data that's hanging off of the user table and then see if you can build some fixtures that kind of replicate those that sample and then just fire that at the data at your application using some acceptance tests and see if they are getting the same behavior as the users who were signed up yesterday. Um, they should, uh, they, they should, or they should be going down certain avenues that should still work, but then offer them back to whatever that, whatever it is that you're, you're providing, you're doing. Um, but what, one thing to note is to, to, to be aware that just because you refresh the page and everything's fine for you, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the same for everybody else. So that's the difference between syntax errors and logical errors. I think, I don't know. I think, I think, I think I covered it all. I think I covered it all. This is something that wasn't really taught to me as, um, as a developer, you know, when at university. So it's kind of these things that I guess I've learned through, through my time, my 20 years of being a dev, the difference between these kind of, these kind of things. So I've just been asked, which language do you use the most? Um, at the moment, I use PHP the most. And actually, uh, right now, I'm working on um, a, a, a fairly large Drupal legacy application, uh, which is fine, which is fun. <laughs> I do a lot of legacy code. I work on a lot of legacy stuff, and there's some really interesting stuff out there. I've rarely done a new build. Um, I haven't done a new build in a long time. So yeah, I'm I'm still playing around with old PHP and um you know upgrading and, and all of that jazz. How can I make acceptance and rege- uh in my website from adding specific products as programming? Uh just reading this comment, so how can I make accepting and reject my 
Do you mean your vendors directory? So the question is, how can I make accepting and reject my vendors in my website from adding specific products as programming? I don't really understand. Can you, um, I don't really understand Mohammed. Could you, uh, elaborate on that? Are you talking about the vendors directory in your, in your, um, PHP code in your PHP code? Uh, just because you've said vendors there. Um, the vendor directory is uh, running from Composer, right? So you, when you do a Composer install, then you would install new things from your Composer.json into your vendor directory, and that would be your dependencies of your application. So if I'm reading that question right, how do you accept and reject various things in the vendor, um, then it would be a case of pinning the versions in composer.json to various things. So you would use like Semver um, to say, I want this particular version of this package. Um, or you could say, you know, anything between these versions, or you could say, I want the development um the development packages of this. You can also do some really interesting things with aliasing. So you can alias uh, to various uh, different um, package versions. So, you know, dev or master or whatever. So, yeah, I I think that's, I think that kind of answers what you, you're asking there, I think. But uh, please let me know if not. So, yeah, using composer.json. What happens when you run com a composer install is it builds the composer lock file. You want to commit that lock file into your source control, which means that the other devs who pick that up, um, they will do, you know, a git pull, pull it down, and then they would run composer install, and it's going to install exactly the same packages that's defined in the composer.lock file, um, which is fantastic it means that everybody's running on the same on the same versions because it's a completely nightmare if if you've got different versions running at the moment i'm playing some really interesting games where i'm having to work on both php 5 and php 7 um so so my composer json file is very different it's it, it it's it's almost like halved you've got one that is specific to php 7 one that is specific to uh php 5 and then you've got a docker image for the various different things and it can get quite confusing as to which version you're on but um having a composer uh lock file is great because you can lock the packages to those particular versions and also to those particular system requirements as well because obviously you would have to change the system requirements if you were to change different versions of PHP, but I hope that answers the question <laughs> or, uh, or I've probably gone off on a very large tangent around composer. <laughs> I was reading on Twitter today that, um, composer actually uses composer to install composers dependencies. That is madness. <laughs> that is so cool. That's like inception on inception. That is, um, very cool. I like it. And, um, also, I was reading the tweets and um, uh, PHP Stan is also using PHP Stan to test PHP Stan. <laughs> uh, PHP is one of those interesting uh, programming languages. There's, a, there's an interesting debate going on at the minute 
regarding build tools in PHP and whether those build tools should be um, added to the actual programming language itself. So much like we've got with Go, in the sense that with Go you have various build tools like auditing tools and testing tools in Go, right? So with PHP, of course, you've got things like PHP Stan, you've got SARM, you've got FAN, you've got PHP Unit. All of these are additional components that are not um, installed by default in PHP. So when when you install PHP, you don't get those components. You then have to run dependencies they they become dependencies of your projects and i've had all sorts of interesting challenges before where in some cases they were dependencies of the project in some cases they were dependencies of the host machine so they would be like php unit and xdebug were installed on the host machine and then on in docker world it was just it there wasn't any dev dependencies like that and you would use the um, the host machine as the the sort of the basis, the global set of packages to test the stuff on the Docker containers. And I'm using container as plural because there was more than one. However, that gets a bit bit difficult, especially if your PHP version on the host machine is very different from the the, the version on the Docker container. You kind of want to have a one to one, otherwise it's not really a true reflection. Um, you want to make sure that the extensions are the same and all of that stuff. So that's that can be quite awkward. I'm actually having some problems at the moment with Cypress, the acceptance testing, because with Cypress, what I'm trying to do or what I have done is I was installing Cypress locally on my local host, right? And then having Cypress run the 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 tests against the web server, which is the Docker container. So Cypress was running globally against the Docker containers, which was fine until I needed to install plugins for Cypress. And I needed to install one the other evening. And that was regarding, um, what was it the, the other stream, last stream, last week? It was regarding, uh, I think it was the uploader test stuff. It was, the, yeah, the uploader uh, an uploader plugin for Cypress, and I was having all sorts of problems because I didn't have Cypress installed against the um, development stuff. It was all against the local host, the local server. Uh, in the end, I had to just run the have both installed, which was which is a bad idea. So I've got um, Cypress running on the local host, the, the the host machine, so my Mac Mini. I then have Cypress installed with the plugin in the um in the docker container which means that i can use the the plugins that are in the docker containers node modules and hook that into the local host machine it's not great by any stretch of the means but the way the ideal way about doing this is is um and it all boils down really to the cypress interface is having a GUI of Cypress because that's fantastic, phenomenal. The the GUI of Cypress, it's great. It's basically like a uh, a very awesome version of Chrome because it it gives you a Chrome window on the right hand side and then on the left hand side it gives you a list of all the tests that it's running and and it, it will tell you, it show you as it's going through the tests uh, where it's at and what errors it's got and what's in the console log and all of that stuff. It's fantastic. I I can't 
I can't say how much I really like Cypress. It's great. Cypress is brilliant. Um, I've come from selenium, so anything is great. <laughs> Where was I going with this? Oh, yes. So this, this um, uploader thing. I needed to install, but I needed to install it through the Docker container rather than the local system because I needed to import the plugin. So, you know, the JavaScript import uh, syntax. And I couldn't, I would have to hard code a reference to the plugin that was installed on the local host in the Docker container, which was just not good. So I ended up installing both Cypress on the host machine and in the uh, in the Docker container, just so I can reference a relative path to the project. Ugh, it probably doesn't make any sense, but I had to do it. Um, so the reason why I decided against running Cypress uh, in the Docker container in the first place is because I would need to use the um, X. Is it X eleven? Whatever it is, the um, the window tunneling type mechanism to uh, run the GUI through the do- uh, through its own Docker container. And I was just like, I don't have time for this. Don't have time for this. I'm going to have to make time for it, unfortunately, if I want to con- continue using it. But yeah, going back to the PHP stuff, um, there is some, um, there's, uh, there's an interesting thing around, um, is it five? Um, Hive 5, I can't pronounce it, but it's basically the, the FAR, the P-H-A-R packages. You can, you can use those to create a FAR yourself, a .FAR file that has all of the build tools in, which is great for, for when you're doing stuff that I'm doing on, um, in my day job. And that's where you're testing code on various different versions. So you can, the thing is when you're, when you've installed say PHP stan, PHP unit and all that jazz in your local dependencies, as in on the project, right? You're having to tie those dev packages to the version of PHP, right? So you're saying, okay, I'm using PHP, uh, say five six, and therefore I can only use this particular version of PHP Stan or PHP Unit or, or what have you, uh, because I don't because because they the the latest and greatest stuff work on say PHP eight, which which I'm not on. So you you have to tie the 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 auditing tools to those things, which is a pain in the ass when you're having to change between different versions to t- test your code on both five, six and, and seven. And believe you me, that happens a lot. So what you can do is use these FARs to actually create a, a self-contained set of build tools that are for those various different uh, versions. So you, I, I would have two, essentially you would end up with two FARs. You would have one, is it FARs or PARs? P-H-A-R. I don't know how to pronounce these things. Essentially you would have these two, two, two files right? One for one version and one for the other version, rather than having to do the whole, you know, you know, as an example, Docker compose down, Docker compose RMI to remove the image, then Docker compose up to build the image, passing in a build argument that bumps it up to PHP 7.4, and then have to wait for that image to download, and then have to wait for composer install to run against the new version of PHP to then bring in all the new stuff. 
if you can actually do these things in FARS, that's really great. Anyway, I've waffled on for too long and I've gone off topic quite a bit. <laughs> so I will, um, I will say my good- goodbyes. Thank you ever so much for watching. Happy coding, everybody. And this will be out tomorrow on the podcast players. So Spotify, iTunes and all the rest of it. Just say, hey, Google, play how to code well. Take care. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye bye.